So while we're setting this up, I'd like to start us with a word of prayer this morning as we kick off our day here at GMHC. Father God, in Jesus' name, we commit the rest of this day to you, and uh, we commit um, all of this uh, technology uh, into your hands, and we pray that it would work well for each and every spe- speaker, starting with uh, now. pray that you'd help us to communicate the message faithfully um, and clearly, and at the end of the day, Father, may you get the glory, uh, may our focus and our um, passion, our core purpose be to advance your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as our friend is setting up the TV screen, um, I've just uh, joined the Christian Medical and Dental Association as the uh, uh, executive VP. Uh, Dr. Stevens asked me to come join CMDA this year. And when I was um, given the opportunity to give my first breakout session here in Louisville, I've attended this conference many times in the past. When I was given this opportunity, I was thinking, okay, should I... Should I I, uh, aim low for a specific topic, or should I go up to 30,000 feet? And the uh, 30,000-foot option is is what uh, held in my mind. Uh, Most of you are familiar with Andy Stanley in in Atlanta. And uh, reading his book, or hearing his book, Next Generation Leadership. Uh, And he said something that was so profound to me that I kept clicking that back 15 seconds button over and over again, listening to it. And he said, if much will be required from those to whom much has been given, then much will be required of me. For I have been given much in the way of example, opportunity, and training. I can really identify with Pastor Andy at this point in my career because I've served uh, for six years um, with a wonderful group of doctors, some of whom are in this room right now, called Southwestern Medical Clinic, a group of multi-specialty docs. I joined in 93. I've also served the better part of two decades at Timwick Hospital as a general and orthopedic surgeon and most recently as the medical director there. I've served under and learned from some incredible servants of Jesus in the medical mission's cause. And so for my first breakout session, I chose a topic that's big picture, mission drift, staying mission true as our times change. Is it coming through? As we say in Kenya, Asante Sana, Mama. (laughs) This is my mission team, uh, and we've been in Kenya. Uh, We just left Kenya this summer to come back and move to Bristol, Tennessee. Well, I was in Washington, D.C. just a few years ago, and I was attending the annual ASHA conference for grant recipients uh, from USAID ASHA. And while I was attending that conference, one of the other representatives of another granting foundation walked up to me and she said, congratulations on your $800,000 grant from the U.S. government to build a new I-building. That's wonderful. But I just want to tell you, I just want to remind you that when the team comes around to visit your site, just make sure you take down the crosses and you take down all of your religious pictures. Now... This would have been something if this was some bureaucrat coming to talk to me, but this was actually the representative from another faith-based organization. And um, I really frowned at her. I quickly ran to the woman that I had just befriended, who was our Africa organizational representative for ASHA, for our project. And uh, I, had, I was really glad that I already introduced myself. I said, Mary, um, you, you know that Timbuk's a Christian hospital, right? 
and oh, of course, Dr. Chubb, I know you're a Christian hospital. We know that here at ASHA. I said, well, I was just told this by another representative that we'd have to take down all of our things that represent who we are when your team comes through. And she said, I have no clue who talked to you, but that is absolutely false. You are who you are. Just don't take U.S. tax dollar money and buy Bibles and give those to patients. So uh, that got me thinking. You know, I... I want to leave my crosses up and I want to remain true to who we are and to our core purposes. But sometimes there's even friendly fire that challenges us uh, to move away from that purpose. Well, why talk about mission drift? Well, too many mission programs or or institutions are no longer actively representing Jesus Christ in word and in deed. And I must say that I have fought with drift my entire uh, missionary career. Well, this book came out um, in 2014. It came out at a good time. I was working my way, uh, just got getting started on a, uh, an MBA program up in Minnesota. And a, a group of four other MBA students and I were working on a project on mission drift in nonprofit organizations. Uh, this book had just come out a few months before. And as far as I'm concerned, it's probably the best work out there. Uh, for those of us doing uh, work in Christ's name with various organizations on how to stay mission true, um, I brought a few copies today, and after the talk, my wife will be here with those copies, and uh, CMDA has given me the okay to sell these for $12 today. For those of you who are e-readers, uh, save the hard copies for us older gray hairs uh, who, who like to have a, a book in our hand. But uh, Chris is a Taylor grad like me. And like Jordan out there in the audience uh, working at Taylor. And so I felt comfortable to uh, pick up the phone. And I called Chris and I said, hey, I'm going to be talking in Louisville about mission drift within medical mission organizations. He said, that's wonderful. And I said, I hope you don't mind if I talk about your book. He said, go for it. He said, we wrote this book uh, with some general principles. And we are hoping that various types of organizations in the world will take these principles and apply them specifically to the outreach that they're doing. And in medical missions, he said, Mike, I don't know anything that's going on in looking at mission drift within a medical mission perspective. You go for it. So I appreciated that encouragement from Chris. What is mission drift? I just put together a definition of an unintentional movement away from the original core purpose, calling, or identity of an individual, institution, or organization. Or, in rare cases, a volleyball named Wilson, if you're Tom Hanks. And that is versus mission creep. Now, some people use the terms interchangeably. Uh, but Wikipedia says that mission creep is the expansion of a project or mission beyond its original goals, often after initial successes. So that's, I'm not talking about expansion beyond what we initially intended, but actually talking about drifting away from core purpose. What is your mission and vision? And I will say that on, on many weekends at Timbuk Hospital, all I wanted to do was get through the weekend. I I wanted to avoid another stab wound to the abdomen, another staff not showing up for work and not filling their position. I just wanted to get through the weekend. To think about uh, my mission and vision uh, wasn't exactly uh, on my radar at that time, but to survive. Now, what this talk is not is about how to come up with better mission statements. So this cartoon says, okay, it's time to brainstorm our mission statement. Or, for those of you who prefer, Mabel here will be standing by to poke you in the eye with a sharp stick. (laughs) So this is not about how to do mission statements. 
But it is about the greatest mission statement. Steve Green, a number of years ago, one of my favorite singers back in, in the 80s, uh, wrote, To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission, the strength from which our service overflows. Across the street or around the world, the mission is still the same. Proclaim and live the truth in Jesus' name. Now, God's mission statement, the good thing about about our Heavenly Father is He never drifts. His purposes always remain true and He he stays with them. And Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, the one who called you is faithful and He will do it. So, what what was Paul referring to in this context? Paul said that He will keep us blameless in body, soul, and spirit until Jesus comes back. That's his mission and his purpose with his church, that he will help keep us blameless. And he's, he's able to do it. Shouldn't, that should encourage us in the various organizations that we've worked with and, and the work that he's called us to do. There's some drift warnings in Scripture. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, uh, Joshua said, Be strong, God said to Joshua, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful, Joshua, on your mission. So God's word at the heart, staying true to God's word, is, a, uh, is one way to avoid drift. Colossians 3.23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so he's our boss and he's our master in helping us to accomplish our mission. And in Revelation chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, very sobering message to the church at Ephesus, but also for those of us who are laboring in missions, making sacrifices, uh, working 60, 80, 100 hour weeks. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, you've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Why do medical mission organizations drift? I'm going to have to be make sure I see what you're seeing. So first of all, a change in leadership and leadership uh, turnover. In my 20 years at Tenwick, we had four different CEOs and five different medical directors. Different leaders have different priorities. And they may be good things like education or research, uh, development of community health, or... They may be to us less desirable issues, at, uh, at least to missionaries, career, career missionaries, like financial support to a sponsoring church, serving as the cash cow uh, for that mother organization. Premature nationalization. Some of the medical ministries I've heard of in Africa crashed shortly after the missionaries pulled out. And is that what God really wanted long term for those ministries? Confidence in our medicine, in our technology. I remember when we dedicated our four-slice CT scanner at Tenwick. And everyone was so excited. We had ministers present. We had local government present. Everyone was so excited that we had this incredible piece of technology. And the Spirit prompted me to say to that gathering of thousands of people that day, let's remember 
what has brought us to this point at Timbuk Hospital. It's not computed tomography. It has been representing Christ's touch. So staff, every single time you see CT over the top of that entrance door, remember it is Christ's touch. You cannot rely on the technology. I think we've seen that today. (laughs) Do not rely on the technology. Rely on Christ's loving, compassionate touch. Donor influence or requirements. It's a big, big thing that uh, Greer and Horst deal with in this book and how our donors can come along with their own vision and mission, wanting to accomplish some things and can veer us off course because of, of dollars and cents. Financial challenges which lead away from charity care. Sustainability, a very, very important thing to talk about and to think about. But it does contribute daily to the dynamic tension of providing care for the poor. And then hiring needs, especially highly trained, highly paid people like doctors or other highly skilled staff. And sometimes we can make compromises because we need an eye surgeon or a pediatrician or a heart surgeon or a pathologist. Those last two hit us at Tenwick. And then another thing that can cause us to drift is a lot of good ideas and many different champions with passions who want to go this way or that way or this way. And it can be such a distraction, and they may not align with our current focus. We want to stay on course, and yet we're, we're navigating some dangerous waters. This is a sign off the Tennessee River near, in Chattanooga. Dangerous waters ahead. So we're in a, team, a boat with our team, and the rapids of a challenge to stay on course. The ways that we might run aground uh, as Christian organizations wanting to do medical missions. Well, first of all, uh, professionalizing the board of trustees. And I've heard this recently at Tenwick, a very strong push by the bishop of the church and the chairman of our board, that we need more professionals to help us with expertise to run this wonderful, great institution. So what's wrong with professionals on the governing board? Well, nothing unless the only professional that you can find who's a great accountant or a builder um, or or any other kind of professional, even bringing in doctors to help us, if they don't bleed for your mission, then it can lead to drift and distraction. Private wings and private doctor's services. This has been one of the most controversial topics that I've dealt with at Timwick over the years because every doctor has a different perspective. And often, it's the bean counters who come in and want this to happen because it'll help, they say, with sustainability. So there can be a lot, again, of dynamic tension in trying to make that work. Developing specialized services with few specialists uh, in the country. And I'm not going to talk about any particular service because I don't want to offend any kind of specialist in the room. But but there are some specialties that have very few uh, patient recipients, but they take a lot of our time and can distract us from taking care of basic needs among other patients and clients. And so we have to be very careful when we introduce new services that we don't get distracted and lessen our impact uh, upon our community. Agreements or memorandums of understanding with secular academic or government institutions. Uh, those, those MOUs could lead you to accept staff that you would otherwise never train or hire and may put you on the radar of officials who are antagonistic to your Christian ministry. Sometimes it's just plain and simple survival, overwhelming volume with chronically low staff numbers, low numbers of cross-cultural workers 
that cause us to lose, lose focus on why we're really there. So this is a team that I worked with at Tenwick. This is our administrative team that met every week and a, a, a larger group that met once a month called our management team. And I will say this is the team that was the steering, the, the steering wheel uh, for keeping us on course. And I can tell you that week after week after week, somebody at the table brought up a concept that the rest of us thought that has nothing to do with why we are here as Timwick Mission Hospital. And so having a wonderful team that can work together provides some checks and balances to each one of us. I'll tell you there were times when I said something. I said, you know, I really wish we could reconsider doing this. It's important. We need this service. And the rest of the team folds their hands, looks at me, Dr. Chubb. That is not consistent with why Timmick Mission Hospital is here. And so our CEO, we didn't always agree about things, but I will say he was remaining true to the core purpose of bringing compassionate care, especially not leaving out the poor in Beaumont County. How do we stay mission true? Well, we need to clearly understand the why of our mission. The, the motto of the nursing school at Timmick is caring in Christ's name. And measure every new possibility. Will this enable us to care in Christ's name? Measure the things that matter most. Key results indicators will be different for each of our organizations. But they should reflect the things that matter most to you and your organization. In addition to our usual clinical quality measurements, we should measure spiritual outreach and evangelism ministry. In other words, maybe the number of chaplain encounters per month, the number of decisions for Christ, the number of follow-ups of new converts. And I think I left out. Um, number three, uh, passionate partners for the whole mission with accountability. Accountability at multiple levels. We need accountability internal to our senior leadership. We need accountability uh, that is external to national oversight bodies like the church, or a national Christian health association, much like we have in Kenya, and external partners. Examples for external partners for us at Timok Hospital were World Gospel Mission, whose leaders are here today, Samaritan's Purse, and Friends of Timok Organization, who kept monitoring what we were doing and in a loving way asking us questions uh, on whether we were remaining mission true. An engaged and proactive uh, board. Board member selection, training, and orientation are key. Again, Greer and Horst spend a lot of time on how pivotal. It all comes down to governance. Your board's number one role is to help you with your mission and vision and to help keep you on track. And so get board members who are engaged. And the orientation, I just went through board member orientation at CMDA. Spent a great deal of time, Dr. Stevens and the chair, the president of the CMDA board, spent a lot of time with the six of us who had just landed. We spent an hour to an hour and a half with a manual going over what is CMDA all about and what are we trying to accomplish and help board member keep us accountable. Mission advancing recruitment and hiring uh, policies. Hire staff who understand and clearly support your mission and vision and give excellent vision casting orientation to especially your new leaders, your new medical missionaries. Don't just assume because Samaritan's Purse and uh, um, the group out in uh, Colorado. Um, what's the name of our, the group that we send our missionaries out to? MTI. MTI, thank you. MTI. Don't assume that they're going to cover all the bases for you as your organization. You give them good orientation when they, when they arrive. 
and include your national professionals. Don't assume that those national professionals will bleed with your mission as much as you do. Uh, Greer and Horst point out, mission true leaders hire carefully, intentionally, and prayerfully. They approach each hiring decision seriously, recognizing that each staff member represents the mission of the organization. I will, I will say that I'm impressed with a group that's here exhibiting this uh, weekend, Loma Linda University, School of Medicine from Loma Linda. I'm going to tell you that those Adventists have figured out how to maintain a ministry and a mission of service in the name of Jesus. You go to their website, it's very clear. They called me from California when I became an assistant or associate professor because we, as PACs, Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, we're under the umbrella of Loma Linda for our uh, credentials. They had somebody, an assistant dean in the Department of Medicine, of all places, who called me a surgeon to talk about the history of Loma Linda University and how in the 1930s and 40s, as World War II approached, there was a tremendous pressure on that university by the government of this country to give up their Christian heritage, and they refused. They said, we'd rather go under than, than uh, give up our mission and vision. And they didn't. So for me to hear that orientation from 9,000 miles away spoke volumes. I have a great deal of respect for that institution because they took a risk to just to hang on to their mission and vision. And they're thriving to this day. They didn't pay me to make that advertisement. Um, so, number, and then number seven, number seven, intentionality in training the next generation. If spiritual ministry and evangelism are key aspects of our mission, we must demonstrate that as we serve in the trenches with students and residents, if, uh, we must demonstrate that if having residents who will do ministry representing Christ is critical, then don't hire residents with no evidence of spiritual interest or maturity, especially if you're going to invest in them financially. I know that not every organization agrees with that, even some people in this room. But if we're really going to spend a lot of dollars, and PAX has decided that if we're going to spend all this money in sponsoring these residents to go out and reproduce what we're doing, then we better hire Christians and we better train Christians. It's just the way, it's not a guarantee, even that's not a guarantee. But it's, it's a, it can be a priority. The use of symbols, signs, and stories. The Timic motto, we treat Jesus heals, is everywhere all over Timic, including the hospital stationery, which goes to government officials, government bureaus, ministry cabinets. So they see that we treat Jesus heals. No new patient or visitor to your clinic or office or program should have to guess what is mission central to you and your people. Now, the exception, of course, might be if you're working in a creative access country uh, where you're trying to, for good reason, to maintain your mission and vision, maintain a low profile. How can you stay the course? Now, I, my, the, topic, uh, the title of my topic is organizational mission drift or shift. But after all, humans are running these, people are running these organizations. And drift begins... Greer and Horse found uh, a surprise to them that in almost every case of drift, an, an individual could be linked to that drift. So how can you stay the course? Keep the Father number one in your life. Remember Steve Green. To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of my and our mission. Find a mission true organization. So as you're investigating and looking at the future and thinking about where you might serve, look for an organization that has demonstrated that they... Uh, 
are, are going to put their money where their mouth is and representing and advancing the gospel uh, is what it's all about. Understand the why of your service. Why am I going to serve? Why is our organization going into this community? Why are we here? Be accountable, as I said before, about the organizational. Be accountable uh, on a personal level. Since joining CMDA, I have developed what I call my significant seven. Um, and my significant seven uh, is a prayer team. Seven men who have mentored me, supported me, led me, and believe in me. Now, I could have made it the significant 70 because God has just given me some incredible people in my life, some of whom are in the room right now. But I just decided to keep it simple. I first called it a magnificent seven, but the image of these guys walking around with guns and hats, I, just, I had to change it to significant seven. I share with them even difficult things that I am facing at home or in my ministry and asking them to hold me accountable. Not the kind of news and requests that I necessarily send out on our Chuplink blog to the whole world, but very significant things. I want them to hold me accountable. And then last, develop a ministry action plan. Now, a ministry action plan is basically coming up with areas of ministry that we have. I thought I had put it in a slide here, but it's not. And this is very difficult. I'm telling you, even veteran missionaries, I was given the responsibility by my leadership team in Kenya to sit down with a group of missionaries and help them to develop a ministry action plan. It's like pulling teeth or like that cartoon, poking people in the eye to get them to sit down and coming up with a ministry action plan. But for every one or two years, we as, we as workers, as Christian workers, need to think about our areas of ministry to get them down on paper, paper. These are the areas. These are my goals. And these are the objective measures that I'm accomplishing what I'm here to do. And if we don't have that on paper, if we don't have that uh, in front of our leaders, our mission leaders in our organization, how are they going to hold us accountable unless we say, this is what, by God's Holy Spirit's guidance, I want to accomplish next year. So coming up with a ministry action plan for yourself. Now, I'm going to shift a little bit uh, to shift. And this is a picture um, here on the right of a place that used to be called the Museum Hill Roundabout in Nairobi. And it's as you're coming out of town, heading northwest out of the city center, and it always was congested. It was crazy. So many fender benders almost on a daily basis. And so finally, the city, the mayor decided, we've got to change this. So they changed it in this incredibly modern uh, interchange where you can get off on exits and get to where you want to go, and there's no more traffic backups for the most part, except right at the peak of rush hour. Well, the problem is, for most of us, we've had bad experiences with this place. Uh, right, Jim? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's because of some bad advertising, if you will. So if you look on the left, it says, Exit 1. And it says at the top, Naivasha, 102 kilometers. And then it says, Thika Nyeri. Well, those of us who've been in Kenya and who use this roundabout before, we know where Naivasha is. Naivasha is west of Nairobi. And so, and in that lane in particular is what I always used to use to get around this, this incredible mire of traffic in the center and zip through to get to Westlands. And so when I saw this for the first time, exit one and, and Naivasha. So I get in this lane, I shift over, get over to the left lane and go on this turn and then going, oh, this is incredible. I'm going and going and I realize I'm heading north. I'm going north. And it's on a super highway with no exits for a while. And so you end up north, way north on Nairobi. And now, now how do I get back? 
and you're kind of stuck. And I've heard that story a number of times from other missionaries who were more, much more savvy and understood Nairobi uh, better than I did. And the problem is, you look at Naivasha, but you don't see the little up arrow there that says you're supposed to keep going straight to go to Naivasha in this lane. So what's the point? Well, mission shift. All of our organizations need change as time passes. But you better be careful the shift that you're making because you may be misinterpreting the signs for your organization. And if you're really wanting to represent Jesus and have kingdom impact and you shift in that direction, you may not end up where you thought you were going to end up. What is mission shift? It's an intentional change in individual or organizational focus, either partial or complete, that impacts both the strategy and goals of that individual and or their organization. Now, at Timok Hospital, over the years, we've had uh, from 1932, and I think when the first missionaries were there, it was all about, almost only, we tell and Jesus saves. The gospel came to the Kipsigese people, and God transformed that tribe and that culture and that community. It wasn't too many years later that the first nurse came in 1937, Trudy Shyrock. And slowly, not immediately, but slowly the emphasis became, culminating when Dr. Sturry arrived and over the next decades, we treat and Jesus heals. Now, it doesn't mean that we weren't telling and Jesus wasn't saving, but the focus became our motto at the hospital, we treat and Jesus heals. The third phase, yeah, you can see it. The third phase was... We train and Jesus sends. Still a very important focus that we're all about training and we want to send out national workers uh, and, and to be kind of a sending camp, a sending base for workers. 1987 to the present and it continues to grow to this day with many training programs. And I can't remember if I left it. Yeah, it's in white down there. And then I, as I've seen changes over the last five to ten years, I wonder if the next phase might at least not partially include uh, in, our, in our focus, we test and do trials. We do research. Now, I had, and I put Jesus question mark. Because I've been wondering, what does Jesus do in this? <laughs> we test and do trials. And I, I'm so glad I ran into Mark Tapazian. Many of you know Mark Tapazian from Mayo Clinic. And I was telling him about this slide. And he said, what do you mean, what does Jesus do? We test and do trials, and Jesus' kingdom comes to earth. <laughs> Okay, Mark, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I hope that our focus with research and testing and doing trials truly will be about bringing Jesus' kingdom to earth. And I've got a lot of education people. I have a feeling I might have a research person or two in the room. So I think Jesus can show up if we focus on research and trials. Well, one example of, I don't know if you're aware of this. I just learned this last month of a mission shift, not a medical mission organization, but one that you might be familiar with. The Presbyterian Journal started in 1942 as an ecclesiastical magazine to talk about church activities around the world. Some of you may be Presbyterian and may know all about this, but I didn't. And then in 1981, they changed their name to God's World Publications Incorporated. And they decided that there were enough church newsletters and papers out there, but there was no one dealing with contemporary events in the world from a church perspective. So they changed in 1981 to that kind of vision and focus, and what was the result? The result was World Magazine that started in 1986. 
And I find World Magazine to be a very challenging, encouraging uh, uh, magazine. I know many of you probably received that magazine. But it started as an ecclesiastical church newsletter that shifted because of the needs of our culture to, ha- to tell the news from a Christian worldview. Greer and Horst say, Mission True Organizations, they remain faithful to what they believe God has entrusted them to do. But their understanding of their core identity will demand that they change. To remain mission true is to adapt and grow, so long as that adaptation growth does not alter the core identity. Even on a personal, ministry, family, uh, personal level, ministry level, we were at Timmock Hospital. We were preparing and we started building a house at Timmock. And I thought our ministry, our focus was going to be overseas missions until either Jesus came back or I turned 70 or 75 or like Billy Graham turned 98. Uh, but God had something else in mind, and ha- he used a symbol, a logo in my life that WGM Media Department helped me with. Is, uh, this, this triangle of mentoring, mobilizing, and managing is what Pam and I, uh, early in 2015, decided that God had asked us to do, was to mentor, mobilize, and while we do it, a foundation of managing uh, the organization that God put us in at Tenwick. And in the process, along came Dr. Stevens and said, would you consider uh, a change to CMBA? Well, understanding that God wanted Mike Chupp and Pam Chupp to be about mobilizing, mentoring, and managing uh, was a, helped me launch the idea that maybe God wanted something different for our ministry uh, and that the potentially we could increase by 10 or 100x our mentoring, mobilizing, and managing by moving to CMDA. It was a hard decision. We spent many months praying about it. But we have had a mission shift in our own life. Well, final challenge before I ask a friend to come up and share with you uh, his testimony uh, is from God's word. A warning to pay attention from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So the word drift even in the verse, we've got to pay more careful attention in 2016. Now, this is so cool because as I was working on this, this uh, project paper uh, a year ago uh, with a team of four other uh, MBA uh, graduate level students and we were writing about mission drift, my good friend Jim Ritchie, who serves at Chigoria Hospital, says, you want to talk about mission drift? Wow, have I got a picture for you. And uh, Jim gave me this picture. So Chigoria Hospital. See, I couldn't tell the story if it didn't have a good ending. It would, be, it, would, it would be slamming some friendly fire on some brothers and sisters. But Chigoria, uh, a Presbyterian hospital, uh, started off as a pres- by Presbyterians, uh, a, a classic mission hospital to tell the gospel, to sh- share the truth and represent Jesus doing a healing ministry, uh, drifted. They've drifted. Uh, I think by any account, probably in the community and in church leaders, they drifted away from that core purpose. And a measure of that drift, this is just a representation, they, they decided to repaint the sign, which was getting rusty, as you see in this picture. But they didn't repaint the word mission. They left it there. You could see that that formally was there, but the mission had faded. And they repainted Chagoria Hospital. Now, lest you think I'm being going to be too critical, Timwick Hospital used to be Timwick Mission Hospital, and they decided to drop the word mission uh, officially in the name that's registered with the, with the government to make it just Timwick Hospital. Uh, and the explanation to me by my CEO and the board was, 
because we decided to put We Treat Jesus Heals right underneath our name every single place that we go so that people understand we're about representing Jesus. So I appreciate, Jim, for this picture. So since this, uh, since I worked on this project about medical mission ministry drift, uh, Jim and his family, some others, have come into Chagoria and have been reigniting the fire, the original core purpose of this mission hospital. And I would like for Jim... Uh, to come and finish this up by telling us that story. It's been funny that um, uh, since Mike just asked me to come and give the story, we haven't otherwise coordinated, but I've been enjoying watching this and, and seeing all the resonances of what he's been, what he's been teaching with what's happened at our hospital. Uh, so my message is that the Lord doesn't just redeem people. He also redeems mission hospitals. Uh, this, is, this is that story. So the place where we work, Chagoria Hospital, was started in 1922 by a Scottish Presbyterian doctor, alone and unafraid, you know, working, working with the Lord. And so we started this place in the middle of nowhere. Since that time, over the next three generations or so, um, the hospital was built into a magnificent place, 300 beds full of the Spirit. But around 2002, the missionaries left. This is to be recorded. So the missionaries left around 2002. Uh, and so the, the hospital lost the mission. And it became largely a government hospital. So about the time that we arrived, around 2014, that was the sign that greeted us on the highway, the one on the, one on the left there. Uh, Chagoria Hospital with the mission faded and rusted. That was highly symbolic of what we found at the hospital. Um, the, uh, for instance, the, the doctors largely were government hirees. They were not interested in, in the things of the Lord. They, it really had made the hospital not much different from a standard government hospital. There was one stalwart doctor who had come there about two years before, a Kenyan named Franklin Ikunda. He was a wonderful believer uh, in the Lord, and he was trying to hold on, but all the other doctors were not interested in what he had to say. Pretty hard to go forward there. The administration wanted it to be a mission hospital. Many of the nurses were still holding devotions in the morning, but if the doctors are not with the program, it doesn't go very well. To make things worse, for a 300-bed hospital, there was one chaplain, and he was a crook. Okay? He was corrupt. He was all about money for himself. So that's, uh, that's also a bit of a challenge. Um, so the... Um, in, in moving around the hospital to try to get to know the place, I was convicted by uh, comments from two people. One of them was on rounds. Um, we were going through talking with a patient, and she, she uh, advised us that she preferred to go to the Catholic hospital up the road there because at that hospital, the nurses prayed with them every day, and she loved that. But they couldn't make it this time, so they came to us. And Man, that was an arrow to the heart, you know. Uh, and another comment was from another Kenyan, and he pointed out to us that, you know, we understand very well that in illness, there's a distinct spiritual component to it. And we want that to be addressed. He said, if the Christian Mission Hospital doesn't address it, when we leave, we'll find someone who will, and that usually will be the witch doctor. And boy, that was something we could not tolerate. So we asked ourselves, how do we want to be different as a hospital from an NGO hospital? And more importantly, how do we want the patients to say we are different from an NGO hospital? That's crucial. And we decided we wanted it to be so that when the patients walked through our front door, they would say, wow, the Spirit of the Lord is truly in this place. So we needed to, to, to work into how, how all that might happen. 
the first place where, uh, where we really needed to work on things we thought was with the chaplaincy, right? If you have a corrupt chaplain, how do you rebuild the spiritual nature of a hospital? But in small towns in Kenya, people are related to each other, you know? So who can you go to? If you go tell this person, hey, the, the chaplain's corrupt, can we get rid of this guy? It might be their uncle. You know? So you have to be careful. But you can always tell the Lord about it, can't you? So we did. You know, Lord, can, can this happen? And so he had him reassigned. Uh, the, the big Presbyterian church called and said, yeah, this guy's reassigned. We're sending you someone else. So that was wonderful. We really appreciated that. And over the course of uh, other events, actually at no additional cost to the hospital, now we have five chaplains at our hospital who all love the Lord, are serving him with all their heart. They don't sit in the office and wait for people to come to them. They go out. They are out in the wards preaching and teaching and, uh, and praying with the patients. They're, they're all over the place doing a magnificent work. One guy in particular, I have to tell you, um, uh, our, our counselor, who also happens to be an ordained minister, uh, wonderful, um, he, is, uh, he treats largely people who are addicted. And Mwangi has a wonderful speech for them when they come into his office. He says, I understand you have this addiction. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't accept him, you're not going to get better. Actually, also, I have so many people waiting to see me that if you're not willing to accept the Lord here pretty soon, I'm going to have to ask you to leave and be treated by somebody else. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to be able to tell your patients that? And you know what? His success rate approaches 100%. My brother is powerful in the Lord. He does wonderful things. And I love that. So the chaplains are great. So the doctors. Um, we also uh, asked the Lord to bring us doctors and worked with some other, other wonderful people who were going to send. Some people wanted to come and work. And our medical director, Franklin, um, was very specific about who would come. He wanted believers to come. And he wanted unbelievers to keep their distance. And so by the, uh, when, by the time we left, there were seven wonderful attending Christian doctors at that hospital. When we go back in, um, in August, we think we will be the 14th. Uh, doctor, Christian, believing missionary doctor to be at that hospital. So the, the Lord really honors that and that we will have four wonderful Christian residents in our family medicine program doing exactly as Mike was saying. We really want only those. And word got around. This is a hospital that wants believers. And so the real believers popped up and said, we want to, we want to work at a place like that, um, which has been terrific. Now, the training program... We also felt needed to be highly centered on the Lord's teachings. So in our family medicine program, we have a spiritual curriculum. It's not something that is an afterthought. Wednesdays are our academic days. And the first hour on Wednesday is the the spiritual curriculum, hour one, not hour four. And it's rich. We love it. It's the sort of thing where at the end of it, we kind of, or, or at the end of the hour, we have to stop because otherwise we would proceed on. And that really flavors the rest of the training, makes it entirely different. The hospital had, been in, had not been in a position to take care of the poor before, but we said we, we simply have to change that. That's something that I'm sure the Lord would want to have done. So we began a, uh, a needy patient fund and uh, started treating people. We didn't advertise it. But when people clearly qualified for it, we began, uh, began teaching them, and that, that really seemed to make a difference. And the Lord has blessed these efforts. 
Uh, I don't have time this morning to tell you some of our miracle stories, but there are some unequivocal miracles that have happened in our hospital. So catch up with me later on. I'd love to tell you that. By the way, with some of the younger people who might not have been in the middle of a bunch of missionaries before, find some people that have been on the field and just say, tell me your missionary stories. That's one of my favorite things to do because the Lord is powerful and is doing things all around the earth. Um, So in this, I don't want to suggest that what we were doing is some sort of a formula, you know, Follow these five steps and the Holy Spirit will infuse your hospital. You know, that's not how he works. Um, but this, these are really things that we have found. And um, that in mixing in the doctors and the chaplains and making the spiritual part intermixed, it's really been wonderful. The chaplains go with us on rounds. Sometimes it's bed to bed that they're with us. Sometimes they're just in the ward while we're in the ward and we can consult them and they can consult us. But it's an intermixed thing. The doctors preach in the chapel. The chaplains are with us to be able to to help us understand, you know, this guy is saying this, but I believe that he's probably meaning that, and and to help us work through it. It's an intermixed thing. I know sometimes people suggest that the doctors really need to provide excellent medicine and leave the spiritual thing to the chaplains. We have not operated that way, and I greatly prefer the, the, the intermixed way that we've been going about things, and I think God has blessed that. And the Lord gave us a present. Um, here kind of towards the end of things. You, you remember one of the questions we'd, uh, we had said, well, one of our goals was that when people would walk into the front door of our hospital, they would say, truly the Lord is in this place. Um, some, I'm sure many of you know Dr. Dick Furman, who uh, he, with his brother started World Medical Mission. And Dick had come to Chigoria a few years back when it was spiritually dry. And he, he noted that. And he came and visited us about a year ago. And uh, after going around the place... Um, Dick said, you know what? This place is really different. What's happened around here? The Lord has really come. Uh, And so we we praise the Lord for that. Uh, So I would say that just before we left, we got another present, which is the sign on the right, which replaced that horror on the left. I've been hating that sign for two years. But now uh, we're back on the map as Chigoria Mission Hospital, a Christian center of excellence. So uh, the Lord is in that place, and may he have all the glory. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for sharing that testimony. Um, It's encouraging to me. We've got ten minutes, it looks like. Um, We've got probably some uh, mission organizational leaders here, uh, others who serve on boards. Um, I know that a number, when I saw comments on uh, Kindle, when I got on Amazon and saw comments from people, uh, a number of mission leaders were on the website and had said, Every one of our new board members, is requ- this is required reading for every new trustee because it is our responsibility as governors to maintain the mission and vision uh, of our organization. So I have a few copies uh, here, but I do want to give an opportunity for some comments or questions or just a follow-up to some of these principles that we've talked about here this morning. Any- anyone this morning? Ron? You know, on your why does it happen, you might add War. Okay. Right. Good point. So uh, Ron Baker is pointing out that there are some uh, extenuating circumstances that there's really nothing you can do about uh, environmental weather conditions or uh, war. Um, And that happened uh, in Sierra Leone uh, to Matru Hospital and to other mission works there. And so it was obvious 
that God had another plan for that period of time. Um, and yet some things are rebuilding. Some things are growing there again uh, now that that external uh, circumstances are, are over. It's a good point, Ron. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Any thoughts, strategies for people who are not in top two leadership, who are farther down the chain, who see the shift or suspect the shift or the drift and are at a loss? John, John Maxwell has law number, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. And number 13 is the law of the picture. So I was hoping someone would ask a question similar to what you've asked because I want to tell you that I myself uh, have been a part of drift. And so on an individual basis, as I pointed out, we need to be involved in painting a picture for those around us. I heard in another doc share yesterday, just because we come from the U.S. and have Western standards and a Western style, we're respected immediately. And so we have to live by example. And I'll still remember the day that the endoscopy tech came up to me. I'd been at Timic for seven or eight years, and his name was Ruben. And Ruben said, Dr. Chupp, we, we here at Timic, we're so grateful for your service. Uh, you've worked so hard. You and Dr. White, who was my partner for about the same period of time, you work so hard, and you really provide great quality care for our patients. Now, Dr. Sturry and Dr. Weshi, they really cared about people getting saved. But we appreciate the fact that you really care about quality health care. <laughs> and my face, I think, drained. <laughs> and I said, really? They said, oh, no, Dr. Shupp, that's really okay. It's a good thing. That's all right. And I wanted to scream, no, <laughs> it's not all right. Those are my giants and my heroes and my role models. I want to be known also for telling people about Jesus and, and introducing them to my wonderful Savior. So my response is, even if you're not in leadership, even if you're not in top-tier leadership, administrative team, management team, or in the, any kind of governing council, that my staff noticed you know, what was really, really, really at that time important to me is giving the best kind of care that I, that I could uh, and allowing the chaplains to do the work of evangelism. And so that day sort of flipped the switch for me. I need to demonstrate that I care personally about evangelism with my patients. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, as a medical director of a secular hospital here in the States, one of the things that bothered me is I wanted my doctors to believe for the hospital, too. I wanted them to feel ownership. Do you feel that by making sure that the doctors who come in are Christians, you still need to do more? Or it was like Tommy Lasorda said he always bled Dodger blue. I mean, you want people to feel ownership for your hospital. What else do you do for that? Yeah, so orientation is critical. And demonstration. And so one of the most common problems that we had at Tenwick, probably still is there today, is this, this division, separation of responsibilities. And I think Jim alluded to that in his testimony, is to say that's the chaplain's work, is to do spiritual ministry. Mine is to do surgery. Mine is to cover the dialysis unit. Mine is to do outpatient. And I'll, I'll leave the chaplaincy work to the chaplains. And it's a problem. It's a problem here in the U.S. at Southwestern Medical Clinic. It's just really, it's really tough to fit spiritual ministry into a busy workday. So orientation of the doctors and to tell them flat out, uh, you will involve the chaplains in your daily rounds. You will, um, you will pray with patients. That's important to us. And so it was so cool to me to see the next generation of our surgeons at Timic, the residents, the chief residents. Frequently, I would be, I had a meeting you know, at 8 o'clock, and we were doing rounds at 7, and wanted to move things along. The residents say, Dr. Shep, I really would like us to stop and pray right now for this patient. I'd say, 
Okay. <laughs> okay. Please, pray. And I wanted to affirm that choice by my chief resident to pray. And often it was a celebration that God had brought about healing through our care. So orientation and, a, and, and an example um, would be a couple of things that I think are really important for new docs who come on board. Yeah. Other comments? Yes, sir. I think some of the settings that we're, we're working in now are becoming a bit more like the U.S. as far as uh, labor laws. And, you know, we, we can pick our board members as believers, but when we're hiring staff, uh, it's starting to be an alarm to say you, you can't hire based upon religious conviction. And you sort of do anyway, sort of covertly. But I think that's going to be an increasing pressure um, for some. Is that, and, and we're having this discussion is how far down do we require a solid Christian commitment? So certainly board, executives, and senior people, uh, some are trying to drift up to say, well, why, you know, you need, a, you need a qualified finance manager. Why does he have to be a Christian? You know? And so there's pressures. Yeah, the dynamic tension. So Southwestern Medical Clinic has dealt with this for decades. And yet somehow, somehow, I don't know how, what's the current number of docs and mid-level providers, 70, 60, how many? 76. So a secular hospital, community hospital, but 76 uh, providers or some of our board members at CMDA don't like that term providers. They want professionals. There's a difference. Professionals who care um, about the kingdom of God coming to earth. So I, uh, Ron, Ron is the gray here, here from, and Dick or, or Megan. Uh, any comments about how in a, in a secular environment with all kinds of labor laws, how, how do you, what do you think uh, has allowed this group of 70 providers to be uh, still very strongly Christian representing Christ in a, in a secular place? I would say it goes back to your principle of staying Sticking with your mission statement, you know, and not, and you going back to that and going back to that on the board, and staying with that, and, 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 and of course, God's the one that helps us do that. It's not us. I was just thinking, Lakeland. Actually, the hospital is here recruiting at this conference on our be, on Southwestern's behalf. So you know, it's an interesting integration. Go ahead, I'm, uh, Dick. Anything or Megan?
is this where you're at or not? And mm. if they're not, then we say, okay, well, you know, we encourage you to get a mentor. We have peers, basically, with pair of people. Um, mm. And, you know, then you have a mission here in the States, and then you have your missions abroad as well. I think the inclusivity is important. You know, if you're in a Christian organization, you're trying to recruit only Christians, the perception from secular people is that you're excluded. <coughs> So often when you ask a question, you already have an answer in mind. Uh, you want to share with us uh, any things that you've learned in this process? You know Perry. Perry. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's just dangerous because I think there's other people that speak into uh, the organization, including donors and uh, other, like we have a university partner that's a secular university, and they would like to have someone represented on our board, but they don't have anyone who would meet our faith statement requirements. ourselves, but we're, we're holding true to that. As I've moved off, uh, and I'm now in the States, I'm sort of counting on our board, Malawian board, to keep that going as Can it nationalizes. Uh, well, I'm with SAM, but I, I, I was running a hospital called Partners in Hope in okay. Malawi. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Ron? Two verses that are favorites of mine. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path, or he'll make your path straight. That's just the first three things we have to do. He always does his part. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It, uh, it's it's eight o'clock. We need to bring this to a close, right, Room Hunter? It's nine o'clock. Sorry, nine o'clock. Thank you all for coming, and God bless you as we go to the other sessions today. And if you want a mission drift book, they're twelve dollars here. <laughs>